I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 19. Now, it may come as a, a surprise to you, but I do read through things before I come here. Uh, and when I read through this, it occurred to me that this is one of those readings where if we were watching it on the TV, the continuity announcer would say something like, uh, some viewers may find some of the scenes in this upsetting. So here's a warning. Some of you fi may find this a little bit upsetting. Anyway, Exodus chapter 14. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we come to think about the passage from the Bible. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story of you fighting for your people. Help us to hear whatever it is you want to say to each one of us this morning. 
Amen. So we're still quite early on in our series of sermons and Sunday school sessions and whatever else is going on from this story of the Exodus. So we're going to have a quick up to this moment recap in case you haven't read your Old Testament recently or you're not entirely sure where all these things join up. So you might know the story of Joseph either from reading the book of Genesis or from watching a certain rather famous musical. And you'll know that God had previously saved his chosen people from starvation um, by bringing about a set of circumstances where Joseph was enslaved and taken to Egypt, worked his way up to being Pharaoh's right-hand man, and that's how his family and all the people were able to come to Egypt and live in a place where there was enough food. So that's why his extended family ended up moving to Egypt in the first place. All went well for a while, and then as there were more and more of the people of Israel, uh, the Egyptians felt very threatened and vulnerable and found a way of oppressing God's people. So it started off well, went bad. In the midst of that situation, God then called Moses to the job of being his representative to Pharaoh, working towards his people being set free and allowed to leave Egypt. We haven't actually had time to look at all the plagues and the first Passover, which again are good Sunday school stories, which led up to this point, but the people are eventually allowed to leave. And in the part of the story we've read today, we reach a crisis moment. They think they're finally on their way to freedom, but then it all goes wrong. They've got away from Egypt, and now, lo and behold, they're trapped. There's a sea or huge lake or whatever it is in front of them, and the Egyptian army catching up on them fast from behind with a load of chariots. They have got absolutely nowhere to go. Because we know the ending, it's one of those stories that work very well with retelling and acting out in Sunday school, and they've got water play and crafts and all sorts of things going on, imagining being able to see the starfish and the fish as you're walking through this aquarium-like thing crossing the sea. But for those of us who've read a lot of stories to young children, there's a little bit of a hint of we're going on a bear hunt. We can't go over it, we can't go around it, we've got to go through it. And we know, because we've heard the story before, that God did create a safe way for them to cross. But for a minute, if we try and put ourselves in the position of those people who were actually standing on the edge of this water with an army thundering towards them from behind, there's this uncrossable body of water. I don't think it looks like an exciting adventure anymore. And they definitely cannot have been assured of a happy ending. No matter what they'd seen God do in Egypt, that's going to be terrifying. I think we can probably em empathize with those who are standing there saying, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? There's no possible human solution to what is lying in front of them and behind them. But fortunately, even if the others are having a wobble, Moses is able to rely enough on what he has seen and experienced of God so far to trust him for that next step. God saved his people when the plague of the death of the firstborn sons left all of Egypt grieving. The people had their part to play. They had to follow the instructions on how to prepare and share that Passover meal, but it was God who did the rest. Their experience of getting this far in their journey has shown them that God is the God who saves. In verses 13 and 14 of the chapter, just before where uh, Ken started reading for us, Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. 
You need only to be still. The people of of Israel worshipped God as the creator, the one who had brought everything into being and therefore had control over everything he had created. And in this passage, it's God who supernaturally intervenes in that natural world to save his people. God is the one bringing about their salvation. But like we said, Moses and the people still have their part to play. Moses had to decide whether or not he was going to raise his staff and stretch out his hand over the sea. Once God had created that dry path for them, the people had to decide whether they were going to walk on that pathway of dry ground, which frankly must have been fairly terrifying as well, because you know that can come crashing down at any moment. One of the songs we sometimes sing in church says, when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. You will never sink beneath the waves. Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And again, that's another song that reminds us that God is in control of the situation. He is doing all the saving that needs to be done. Our job is to be that that trusting child who can feel brave because their loving parent is in control and mums and dads take care of us and make everything right. If you're someone who's already become a follower of Jesus, you know that God did all the saving we need through Jesus's death and resurrection. Our part in the process is to trust in that and allow him to then direct our path. And if you're not sure if you'd call yourself a Christian yet, maybe it's because you don't think you're good enough or you're not quite sure how to make it happen. But like in this story, although we can't make a path in the sea open up to save ourselves, we need to choose to accept the way of being saved that God provides for us. But for many of us, it might not be our relationship with God that's at the forefront of our minds when we think about facing what looks like a completely insurmountable problem. We know that everyday life can contain all sorts of situations where there's no way around, over, under, or apparently through them. It could be a relationship. It could be a job situation. It could be our finances. It could be health problems or all sorts of other things. And we can feel completely trapped by the situation we find ourselves. It's not an army and a sea, but it could be two equally bad or horrendous options that we think are surrounding us. I'm afraid I can't say that it's always going to be right. There might not always be God providing a miraculous situation and escape route the way we have in this story here. But hopefully this passage is encouraging us to stand firm and be still knowing that God will fight for us in whatever those situations are. God provided Moses as a leader for the people at this hugely significant time in their history. I'm sure that his faith and the fact that they could see him listening to and obeying God probably helped some of those who were feeling completely overwhelmed by the situation. Do we have people who can inspire and encourage us when we feel like we're in a situation and there's no way out? Sometimes having friends who will listen as you think things through out loud can help to take away some of that anxiety. And when they're friends who you know are praying and trusting God alongside you or on your behalf when it all gets too much, that is a real blessing. So we need to take advantage of having those friends at church. If you think that being part of a small group or sharing anything with others within the church family would be helpful for you, 
do speak to one of the usual suspects about how to get involved if you're not already in a group. The east wind which cleared the path through that water was miraculously used by God. But I'm never sure whether this is part of being the daughter of a doctor and the, the daughter of a nurse. But I also think that God provides doctors and nurses, debt management experts, grief or relationship counsellors, and all sorts of other people who might be the miraculous answer that we need to help us as we are dealing with something big in our lives. So praying might bring about a miraculous result. It might bring about something that feels a bit more day-to-day -day and mundane, but I think an awful lot of it is coming from God. I think it's significant that this is a story that God's people have continued to tell for thousands of years. The phrase, the God who brought you out of Egypt, is used in at least 10 other books of the Old Testament. So this is not a story that we just read once. It crops up again and again and again because people saw it as part of their foundation story. God's miraculous way of saving them from that situation in Egypt became a central part of God's people's identity. And that reminded me about what Nick was saying a couple of weeks ago when he spoke about things from his previous experience of God, reminding himself when he faces a difficult situation. We read our Bible on our own and we meet here regularly to listen to someone reflecting on words from the Bible because we believe it is good for us to hear and be reminded of the stories of God's love and faithfulness and miracles. It's also good to hear stories of God's love and faithfulness in people's lives now. You might talk about those kind of things with Christian friends or in your small group, but you can also find them in books and on Christian radio and in podcasts. So if you need some other people's stories to help bolster your belief and faith in God, then there are lots of different places you can find them. We saw that in verses 13 and 14, Moses told the people that their job was to be still and stand firm and they would see God fighting for them. And that reminded me of, an, of a passage in Ephesians 6, which tells us to put on the armor of God. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So I'm, I'm reading into that, that it's God's qualities and actions which will protect us not anything we can achieve by ourselves. We're not to go out and make this armor. We're not to go out and work out what it is that can possibly protect us. God is providing that and we are to daily put that on. I think when we share with one another who God has been and what God has done in our lives, we're joining in with that tradition of all of God's people over those thousands of years of finding our identity in the God who saves so let's pray and ask him to continue to do that.